Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Los Angeles County, California. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. The movies The Way of Water, The Fablemans, Logan, they all have one thing in common. The stunts were coordinated by the legend himself, Garrett Warren, who is a fifth-degree black belt in Taekwondo and a three-time winner of the World Martial Arts Championship. As of this episode, Garrett has worked on stunts for 119 movies, so he's kind of a big deal. One of his friends told Dateline that he is the finest fight man you can hire that he's focused and careful. He's never a daredevil, which is the last thing you would ever want on a movie set. But while Garrett is this wildly successful Hollywood badass, that's not his whole story. In college, he studied physical therapy and sports medicine. By the late 1980s, he owned the Garrett Warren Institute of Martial Arts just outside of Boston, Massachusetts. In 1990, Garrett moved from Boston to Los Angeles so he could help a friend set up a karate school. The Daily Beast reported that shortly after he got there, Garrett magically landed a job as a stunt double for Jeffrey Meek, who played the lead character Jonathan Raven on CBS's The Raven, which is a TV show about a ninja and ex-Special Forces soldier, so it is right up Garrett's alley. Even though The Raven ended in 1993 after just one season, Garrett made an impression and was able to find work as a stunt double on other sets. In 1993, he played the double for Dolph Lundgren in the film Joshua Tree. Garrett's most successful year was in 1994, though, when he worked on six different films. Throughout the remainder of the 90s, he did work on movies like Double Team, Starship Troopers, and Charlie's Freaking Angels. Shout out to Drew Barrymore, you are a queen and I love you. Garrett was this entire badass, but he didn't get through these movies unscathed. He told the publication Sway, I think I've gone through something like 66 surgeries in my lifetime. That's a lot of broken bones, a lot of organs that have been stitched up, fixed, put back in. I'm Frankenstein's Frankenstein. He told the When It Mattered podcast that he had a near-death experience while working on the movie Chill Factor when a motorcycle he was riding was hit head-on by a semi-truck. Garrett was thrown around 60 feet with his legs torn to shreds, and he had to be revived. He was airlifted to the hospital where he made a full recovery, though. And that was just one of the near-death experiences. He told Sway, it's not a healthy occupation, let me put it that way. Aside from working as a stuntman, Garrett also owned a gym. He taught martial arts and fight choreography to celebrities like The Rock and Jessica Alba. He also worked as a personal trainer for Denise Richards, Kate Hudson, and more. Being around celebrities like that, you can imagine that Garrett dated around in some pretty crazy circles, but he was never the one who wanted to settle down, at least not until 1997 when Garrett met 30-year-old Claudia Harrow. 
She was a former model who had married Joe Pesci on September 7, 1988. And yes, that Joe Pesci, the incredible actor from Goodfellas, My Cousin Vinny, Home Alone, and so much more. She was even in the movie Casino with him. Following her wedding to Joe Pesci, the two then welcomed a daughter together. But like roughly 40% of celebrity marriages, it did not last. The Daily Beast reported that the couple divorced in the early 90s, but they remained friends, close friends, to the point where Claudia would sometimes live in Joe's guest house. It feels awkward being the ex in the guest house, but what do I know? By the time Claudia and Garrett met in late 1997, she wasn't really dabbling in much Hollywood adventure anymore. They started dating and fell in love really fast. Garrett later told Dateline that their love was what movies were made of, and it is kind of giving off rom-com meet-cute vibes. A friend of Claudia's said she seemed really happy with Garrett. He was sweet and funny and won over everyone in Claudia's life, including her movie star ex-husband. On March 25, 1998, Garrett and Claudia tied the knot, and less than a year later, they welcomed their own daughter, Kate. Garrett later told Nancy Grace that the marriage was great in the beginning, however, it was definitely a roller coaster ride. You know, when things were good, they were great, but when they were bad, they were bad. Garrett had to travel a lot for work, which led to his marriage with Claudia falling apart. On July 13, 1999, less than a year into their marriage, Claudia filed for divorce and moved into Joe Pesci's guest house. A custody battle quickly ensued. Garrett told Nancy Grace, It was a heated divorce, and we really did try to do what was best for our daughter, but at the same token, what we thought was best for our daughter necessarily wasn't what the other one thought was best for our daughter. According to court documents, Claudia wanted full custody of Kate, so she falsely accused Garrett of molesting her, and that's really fucked up. She also said Garrett was gay and a womanizer, and I don't think she thought that one through, but it goes on. She also said he was struggling with alcohol and drug dependency. A judge ordered an investigation into the molestation accusations, which Dateline reported that on April 12, 2000, the judge concluded that there was no evidence that Garrett had ever done anything inappropriate to Kate. With that, the judge ruled that Garrett and Claudia would share custody of their daughter. Garrett later told the Daily Beast, I got what I wanted in court. I wanted nothing more or nothing less. Claudia wasn't very happy with the whole thing. He told Dateline that Claudia threatened him, saying, you're going to bleed. Claudia's threat came to fruition roughly five weeks later on May 20th. That night, at approximately 8.15 p.m., Garrett and his 64-year-old mother, Joanne, were both at Garrett's home in Westlake Village, which is in Los Angeles County. Garrett put his daughter Kate to bed, and as he was walking down the hallway, he heard the doorbell ring. And it wasn't just one ring, it was an impatient ring over and over and over. He actually described it as really fast and frantic. Wondering who it was and why they were at his house, Garrett went to the door and heard a guy ask if he owned the silver Volvo parked in the driveway. The probability here is 100%. The guy seemed really anxious when he was asking about the car, which made Garrett wonder if maybe the guy had wrecked into it or something. When Garrett didn't immediately open the door to find his Volvo-obsessed stranger, the guy knocked six more times. 
Finally, Garrett opened the door, looked outside at his car, and told the man, yeah, this is my car. Did you hit it? But the man hadn't hit it. He wasn't there about the car at all. It was just a ruse to get Garrett to open the door. The man lifted a 32 caliber revolver that he had by his right leg and shot Garrett in the chest and neck. Still alive, Garrett tried to take cover by going back into the house, but he was shot for a third time, this time in his left hip. Garrett fell to the ground, and the man entered the house, stood over him, and put the gun to his forehead. Right as the shooter was about to pull the trigger for the fourth time, Garrett flinched and turned his head. Instead of his forehead, the fourth bullet went right into his right eye, narrowly missing Garrett's brain. Garrett's mother, Joanne, heard the gunshots and immediately rushed to find out what was going on, which is major mama bear energy, and I am here for it. The shooter, however, fired two shots in Joanne's direction. The shots barely missed her head before the shooter fled the scene and got into his vehicle. Somehow, Garrett managed to dial 911 while his mom did everything she could to stop his bleeding. According to Dateline, while waiting for emergency responders, Garrett told his mother, I love you, I'll see you on the other side. Joanne then looked at her son and said, don't you fucking die. Garrett said that statement hit him harder than the bullets because he had never heard his mom cuss before and decided in that moment that he would survive. Garrett later told Nancy Grace about what it feels like to be shot. He said, you feel each one, but it doesn't feel like you think. It just feels like someone tapping you on the chest. That's all it does. I liken it to a magician pulling that tablecloth out from underneath all the plates. It moves so quickly that it doesn't really throw you. However, when the time comes and it all settles and you decide that you're going to fight and try to fix whatever's wrong with you, the pain sets in and you hurt from head to toe. Garrett told the Daily Beast, it was surreal. I had been shot all my life in the movies and here it was happening for real. When police showed up, they asked him what had happened and who might have done this to him. Garrett gave them the play-by-play -play and said he knew that the shooter had to have been hired by his soon-to-be ex-wife, Claudia. Garrett told police that the shooter was a stocky male, possibly Italian or Israeli, approximately 5'9 or 5'10 with short dark hair and a goatee, and that the shooter was right-handed. With his statement documented, Garrett was rushed to the hospital in critical condition where he was treated for four gunshot wounds and a broken jaw. The bullet that entered Garrett's chest had lodged in his rib cage and doctors were not able to remove it. Garrett's face had to be rebuilt with metal and his right eye had to be completely removed. While Garrett was being tended to, detectives went to speak with Claudia. She said she denied any involvement and provided a solid alibi but police knew she wasn't the one doing the shooting, so her alibi for the time of the shooting was kind of irrelevant. Detectives later told Dateline that Claudia seemed genuinely concerned about Garrett. This, plus her alibi, did lead them to believe that she had no involvement, which blows my mind. When detectives told Garrett the news, he was pretty upset. He knew Claudia had to be involved. No one else would want to hurt him. It took Garrett a while for him to subscribe to the idea that Claudia wasn't behind the shooting and later told the Daily Beast, after a while I thought, it must not be her, they are the professionals. I always thought it was her, but when the police said it couldn't be her, I let it go. With no arrests made, Garrett was worried that the shooter would come back and finish the job. 
He started taking additional precautions, such as wearing a bulletproof vest. Imagine feeling like you have to wear a bulletproof vest to survive a Tuesday. He also moved into a new house and installed pressure-sensitive plates around his property's perimeter. If anyone so much as stepped on his property, he would know about it. He also went so far as to put scotch tape on his car doors and gas cap, which he would check every time before getting in. Meanwhile, detectives were looking for other suspects. Because the shooter asked Garrett about his silver Volvo, they looked into the possibility that maybe Garrett had been the victim of road rage. The face palming here hurts. Obviously, that theory did not pan out, so detectives looked into the possibility that the shooting had something to do with an ex-business partner, a jealous ex-partner, or someone from a movie set. But there was nothing. At one point, detectives received an anonymous letter advising that people at Garrett's gym should be looked into, but that too went nowhere. For the next two years, detectives struggled to find answers. During that time, Garrett underwent several surgeries and rehab sessions to recover from the injuries he sustained during his attempted murder. Within a year of the attack, Garrett's life was starting to look up, he was back at his gym, training clients, and he and Claudia were also sharing custody of their daughter. Their relationship was even described as friendly. As more time passed, Garrett didn't think an arrest would be made, so he eventually started moving on with his life. But on March 14, 2002, a small-time drug dealer and restaurant owner named Miguel Curos was busted by the San Bernardino police. In the trunk of Miguel's car, police found an envelope hidden under the spare tire. Inside that envelope was a hit note made up of pieces of a napkin and a picture of Garrett with a circle around it. The napkin had directions to where Garrett was now living and dates he could be killed on. The envelope was sent from Hollywood and postdated October 18, 2001, which was after Garrett was shot. It looked like Garrett's paranoia had not been unfounded. Another hitman had been hired to finish the job. The San Bernardino police contacted Los Angeles County, who headed over to see the envelope and its contents. Detectives looked to see if Garrett and Miguel had any connection, but they didn't, not at all. Garrett and his mother, Joanne, were brought into the station to view a photo lineup, which included a photo of Miguel, but Garrett and Joanne weren't able to identify him as the shooter. The following month, Garrett was brought back to the station to look at another photo lineup. This time, he picked Miguel out of the photos and said, looks like the individual, although skinnier. But detectives didn't feel like they had enough evidence to prove Miguel was the killer, so they continued investigating. A year and a half later, in November of 2003, detectives told Garrett that they wanted him to come in for a live lineup. According to court documents, before he went in, Claudia tried to convince Garrett that Miguel was not the person who shot him. She pointed out that Garrett said the shooter was 5'9 or 5'10 and said Miguel was only 5'4. But when Garrett went to the live lineup, he again picked out Miguel as the killer. Garrett told detectives he has lost weight in his neck and now has gray hair. Following the live lineup, Miguel was officially charged with attempted murder. Before the end of 2003, Miguel's preliminary hearing was held. 
Multiple witnesses testified that on the night Garrett was shot, Miguel was working at his restaurant more than 75 miles away from Garrett's house. Also during the hearing, the prosecution noticed that Miguel was left-handed. After recalling that Garrett said the shooter was right-handed, the prosecution started to doubt that they had the right guy in custody. According to court documents, shortly after the preliminary hearing, Claudia showed Garrett some photographs she had of him and Miguel together. The pictures had been taken at a party hosted by Joe Pesci roughly two months after the shooting. Garrett had gone to Joe's to pick up Kate, and before he left, some pictures were taken of Garrett and Miguel squatting on the floor, playing with Kate and another little girl. Garrett contacted the police and told them about the photos. He said he no longer believed that Miguel was the hitman. Detectives later told Dateline that they believe Garrett picked Miguel out of the lineups because Miguel was the only person he recognized. Because he recognized him, Garrett figured the guy had to be the one from the shooting. It was a classic case of transference. And according to an article on iResearch, unconscious transference is a memory error that occurs when an eyewitness to a crime misidentifies a familiar but innocent person from a police lineup. Detectives no longer believed that Miguel was the hitman, but since he had Garrett's photo and address in his car, they thought he still might know who that hitman was. So detectives went back to Miguel to see if he'd cooperate with them. Dateline reported that after going back and forth for a while, Miguel finally confessed to his part in the attempted murder. He said that the person who helped him come up with a plan was Manny Harrow, Claudia's brother. Miguel explained that he and Manny had known each other since around 1996 or 1997 through drug dealing. Miguel told detectives that Manny had solicited his help to find a hitman to kill Claudia's soon-to-be ex-husband. Miguel agreed to assist and hired an old acquaintance, George Hernandez, and he was supposed to be the one to carry out the hit. According to Miguel, Hernandez was the person who was responsible for shooting Garrett four times. Miguel told detectives that after Garrett miraculously survived the attack, he, Miguel, was approached to finish the job. Claudia provided him with a hit note, which Miguel placed beneath the spare tire in his truck and ultimately forgot about it. A brain fart left a hit note for a celebrity under the spare tire of a drug dealer's car. He didn't remember he had the note until he was arrested by the San Bernardino police on those drug charges. He was the worst hitman middleman ever, which was terrible luck for him and incredible luck for Garrett. According to court documents, after losing the hit note, Miguel asked Claudia to resend the instructions to him. She did, but ended up accidentally sending them to a friend of Miguel's instead. The friend eventually gave them to Miguel. Miguel held on to that one and gave it to police. The document listed the days when Garrett had custody of their daughter and contained a message that read, Not Wednesday or Sunday, my daughter is with him. Which makes the sender pretty specific. And the only difference here is that she drew a line with her daughter because that first hit happened when his daughter was there. But I guess she didn't want her to be for the second one. Got it. I guess at some point you have to have a boundary with your hit request. I don't know. Terrible person. Let's move on. According to court documents, in exchange for lesser charges, detectives asked Miguel if he would testify against all participants and wear a wire while speaking to George. Miguel took that deal and approached George at a party. During the recorded conversation, Miguel told Manny that the police had found a hit note in his trunk. He said they were able to recover fingerprints and DNA from the envelope. George proceeded to make a bunch of incriminating statements, including that the instructions he was given had been destroyed. 
George also told Miguel to just get the guns or whatever, and I'll get, we'll finish it off if that's what you need. Finish it off? How the fuck is that going to help anything? George also admitted that he had driven his own car to Garrett's house when he tried to carry out the original hit. Miguel then asked about how Garrett didn't die, and George responded with, I apologize, dude, I'm not a good shot. And he's really not, and thankfully so. Again, this is the dumb and dumber of hitmen, and thankfully, that is the reason that anyone survived. The recorded conversation was exactly what the detectives needed. Miguel's end of the deal was carried out, and the prosecution held up their end. He pleaded guilty to being an accessory after the fact and was sentenced to five years probation and a suspended prison sentence of three years. On June 29, 2005, Manny Harrow and George Hernandez were both arrested and charged with the attempted murder of Garrett Warren. George refused to talk at all, but Manny, however, sang like a fucking canary. According to Dateline, Manny said that in February of 2000, Claudia told him that Garrett was an alcoholic, a drug addict, a molester, etc. Manny believed her since he had no reason to think she would lie about something like that and said that Claudia asked Manny to take Garrett out. Believing that Garrett had legitimately been doing all of these things, Manny agreed. According to the Daily Beast, Manny told detectives that he asked a friend, Lavelle, about hiring a hitman. Lavelle came back to Manny and said he could find someone to carry out the hit for $6,000. Lavelle said the hitman needed a gun, directions to Garrett's house, and a description of what Garrett looked like. Manny then went to Claudia and told her he needed half of the money up front and for those directions and that description. Claudia had no qualms about giving Manny everything he'd asked for. Ten days later, Lavelle told Manny that he had tried to kill Garrett, but he couldn't find him or his house. Manny passed that news on to Claudia, who then asked if they could find someone else. That's when Manny approached Miguel. In the end, Miguel hired George Hernandez, who said he wanted $10,000 to $15,000 to carry out that hit. After speaking with Claudia, they all decided George would be paid $10,000, but only after the job was done. On May 20th, 2000, George showed up at Garrett's house and shot him four times. Following the shooting, Manny gave Miguel an envelope with $10,000 and said to give it to George. Later, Claudia called Manny and said that Garrett had survived. Manny then told Miguel. Sometime after that, Manny told Miguel that Claudia wanted the hit to be finished. But before that could happen, Manny was arrested on unrelated charges so he could no longer act as the middleman. The very bad, forgetful middleman. With that, Claudia ended up talking to Miguel herself. She mailed him an envelope with Garrett's address, directions, and a picture. Miguel put that envelope under his spare tire, which he forgot about, so Claudia later sent him a new one. Miguel never used the instructions to do anything because he was arrested for something else. With Manny Harrow's confession, detectives felt like they had enough to arrest Claudia. Detectives brought her in for questioning and told her that Manny had hired a hitman to kill Garrett. They asked Claudia why Manny would want Garrett dead when he'd never even met him. Claudia said she had no idea. When asked about the hit notes Miguel said she gave to him, Claudia said she'd never given him any notes. Despite Claudia's claims of innocence, she was arrested. Garrett told the Daily Beast that he'll always remember the day he found out he was right. 
that Claudia was responsible for the hit. He'd been working on the set of Beowulf when he got that call. It was the validation that he needed that he wasn't crazy for thinking Claudia was responsible. He was also rightfully horrified. He said she had been putting on an act for so long and making it seem like it had to be someone else and that it was my fault it happened to me. But the case against Claudia was not strong. Manny had told detectives that he would not testify against his sister. Without that testimony, the DA's office didn't feel like they had enough evidence to formally charge Claudia. So after 48 hours, she was released from custody. The investigation into her involvement continued. Dateline reported that detectives sent off the hit notes for comparison against Claudia's handwriting. They were a match. Detectives went back to Manny to see if he'd cooperate, and he agreed to take a plea deal and testify against Claudia. He later pled guilty to attempted murder and was sentenced to life in prison with a chance of parole. And I can only guess that that's not how he thought that deal was going to pan out. Claudia was rearrested and officially charged with two counts of attempted murder and conspiracy to commit murder. Claudia quickly hired a very well-known defense attorney who was famous for representing Michael Jackson during his child molestation trial. A detective later told the Daily Beast that hiring a second hitman was Claudia's downfall. He said if she didn't try to go after him a second time, she would probably be on the streets now. But detectives still had one nagging question to answer. Where did Claudia get the money to hire a hitman? In one of his interviews, Manny told police that Claudia gave him money for the hitman in front of Joe Pesci's house, which is a huge oh shit moment. Detectives started to wonder if maybe Joe had given Claudia the money. According to the Daily Beast, detectives interviewed Joe and even searched his property for evidence, but they didn't find anything. Joe was never charged with any involvement. The deputy district attorney later said there was no credible evidence that Joe had any involvement in the case. The attorney added, if there was evidence to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he was involved, he would have been charged. With Claudia in jail, Garrett was granted full custody of their daughter, Kate. Even though Garrett knew for sure that Claudia had tried to have him killed, Garrett didn't want Kate to miss out on a relationship with her mom, so he allowed them to talk as often as they wanted. I have so many feelings here. After 23 months in jail, Claudia was released on a $1.25 million bail. She was then allowed to see Kate in person pretty frequently. While that shit show was going down, the prosecution brought George Hernandez to trial. The Daily Beast reported that Garrett took the stand and testified for the prosecution. In the end, George was found guilty of conspiracy to commit murder and two counts of premeditated attempted murder for Garrett and his mother, Joanne. He was sentenced to 77 years in prison. In March of 2012, the prosecution finally took Claudia to trial. But in the middle of jury selection, she decided to plead no contest to two counts of attempted murder and a principal firearm charge. In April, Claudia showed up for her sentencing hearing with her current boyfriend, her ex-husband Joe Pesci, and a nun. A whole entire nun. She was sentenced to 12 years and four months in prison. As she was handcuffed and taken out of the courtroom, the people Claudia brought with her cried out, We love you. Joe, who was visibly upset, left the courtroom in a rush. Claudia's attorney later told Dateline that Claudia is innocent, that's why she pleaded no contest, and I don't feel like that's a great argument. He said the hit notes were not written by Claudia, they were forgeries. 
So let me get this straight. Someone forged her handwriting on a hit note that would be strategically left under the spare tire of a drug dealer's car only to be found during an unrelated incident and then tied back to Claudia to frame her maybe one day. Again, that does not sound like a great argument. Her attorney said that the only thing she is guilty of is having a criminal for a brother. The truth was that Manny wanted to keep his street cred and he was mad about the molestation claims, so he hired George to kill Garrett. That when he was caught, he made up a story to blame his sister. The sister he had refused to testify for. Again, not a solid argument. While Claudia was in prison, Garrett continued to let Kate and Claudia speak on the phone as much as Kate liked. Garrett also took her to the prison for visitation and told Nancy Grace that he wants his daughter to be raised as normal as possible. He said everyone makes mistakes and you have to move on. And I think we can all agree that Garrett is a much better person than pretty much all of us. In June of 2017, Manny was released from prison. Just over two years later, in August of 2019, Claudia was released as well. What they're up to today, no one knows. As far as Garrett, he continues to thrive, coordinating stunts on huge Hollywood movies. Garrett told Nancy Grace that getting shot four times has made him a better person in the industry. He can give firsthand knowledge on what it's like to be shot. Nancy asked Garrett how the shooting changed his life, and Garrett told her, when you sit on the ground and you're dying and you have to think about it, everything bad that you've ever done in your life comes back up. So I learned to have a lot of forgiveness. I've forgiven anyone and everything that has ever happened to me or that will happen to me because the world's not worth it. And honestly, when the day comes and I have to be judged, I certainly hope that I'm forgiven. And damn it, if that is not the most wholesome statement I have ever heard. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Garrett's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley. We go live regularly on TikTok to discuss all episodes and all other true crime cases on your mind. So follow me at the Heather Ashley and tap on the bell icon so you can be notified when we go live. If you love the podcast, feel free to leave a review. It makes my day every time. And if you have a case you'd like to hear covered, share it with Big Mad True Crime on social media because all cases are covered by listener request. I'll be bringing you a brand new case next week, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. We are officially at the end of this episode, and it is time to share a review that made my whole entire day. This one is from and says, I love this show so much. I listen to a ton of true crime podcasts. It's okay. I'm in therapy. And who isn't? But this one stands out because of Heather's passion and wry humor that doesn't sugarcoat any stupidity or evil. She calls out creeps with admirable abandon, but still always speaks with compassion for victims and families. Keep up the good work. Username. You are my favorite person of the day. I wish I knew how to say your username. It is long and complicated, and I hope that means you're delightful and exciting. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to do something wonderful and nice and kind to me. Please know that I love and appreciate you, and you're amazing. And okay, I love you, but I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. No, no, next week. Okay, bye.